Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage Into Gold is powered by Manscaped. And may Valentine's Day is upon us, fellas. Make sure you're ready for wherever the night may take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Two million men are already trusting Manscaped products to groom. Make sure you're one of them today. Your girl can't think of what to get you this year. Tell her to get the gift that's for you and for her. The best way to get started is with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by Manscaped's revolutionary third-generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink or the shower, especially when it's time for Cupid to shoot the arrow. Uh, The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with Manscaped's Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, and all of these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Any of their products, again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PHL. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. All right, everyone, in this episode, we will talk about the Sixers come behind win without Joel Embiid against the Indiana Pacers. We'll also discuss Doc Rivers being named Coach of the Month for December and January. Joel Embiid also named Player of the Month for December and January. We will talk about his MVP chances up against Nikola Jokic, who has had an extremely impressive season as well. And then we will finish things off by discussing a potential reunion with J.J. Redick and the Sixers. So without any further delay, please enjoy this episode of Garbage Into Gold. Garbage Into Gold. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch, doing doing this podcast for the second time on a day in between games. I feel more revitalized doing those podcasts post-game. They're fun from time to time, but other times it's nice to do them in the evening on an off day so you have the night ahead of you, um, and I just feel more energy. Yeah, and it's doesn't hurt that we have a team that we don't have to sit there and you know be stressing about all day it's we're at a point where it's like oh the Sixers are playing tonight that'll probably be another win you know we haven't had too many performances where we're sitting there the next day just like what the fuck is wrong with this team (laughs) it's like it's oddly oddly calm right now on the Sixers front which we just haven't been used to yeah, I feel like if uh, the game against the Pacers went the other way, there might have been a couple of people that are just like, what the fuck are they doing uh, not being able to win without Embiid? And that's always been one of the things that, I don't know if I'd call it like an underlying storyline or anything like that, but it's no it's no shock that this team struggles without him. Even with 
Dwight Howard in as backup center, um, you know, solidify. He's one of the best backup centers we've had since Joel Embiid has been here, but you see his limitations and everything when he's a starter. So he gets put to the bench. Tony Bradley starts. And, uh, you know, it's just frustrating to watch this team uh, without Embiid perform so poorly. So it was nice to see them put together a concerted effort to come back and make the right adjustments to be able to stage like a really big comeback against a team like Indiana, who, again, I I mentioned before, I had them falling out of the Eastern Conference playoff picture this year. I was just like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure it's going to work because Oladipo's not happy, Miles Turner and Sabonis, you you just just don't know what you're getting there. Um, But they've been pretty good this season, so it was nice to see the undermanned Sixers beat a team they probably shouldn't have without Embiid and uh, get that first win without Joel this season. They trailed by 17, uh, 83 to 66 with about six and a half minutes to go in the third quarter and ended up outscoring Indiana 53 to 27 the rest of the way, including a 37 to 15 advantage in the final 12 minutes. So it was nice to be able to say like, how the fuck are they going to win without Embiid? And then throughout this entire game until like the middle of the fourth quarter, I was thinking that. And now we have, I mean, it feels nice. That's all the only way I can explain. It feels nice. Yeah. And it's not just beating, you know, they didn't just go out and beat the Knicks. Like the Pacers are playing like a very good team right now. And the Pacers, I believe were healthy. And we still went out there and found a way to get the W. And it's that's something the Sixers haven't shown they can do yet. And it's kind of felt like a microcosm of the whole year where each time there's been a problem to present itself, you know, give it a game or two, then it fixes itself. And like I kind of said at the beginning, that's something that we have not seen with the Sixers over the past five, six years. Usually the problems persist. Now the problems are getting addressed. And it's really weird not being able to bitch about the Sixers. We've been doing it for so, so, so much of our relationship is built on complaining about the Sixers. And we just can't right now. If you could, what would you complain about? What would be your one complaint right now? Putting you on the spot. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I really... I don't really have anything like this is just me being, you know, rooting for a player. Like I'd like to see Isaiah Joe get worked in a little bit more, but it it also is like, there's no reason to with the way the team is. Would you believe me? So the Sixers are 15 and six right now. Would you believe me right now? If I told you last year's team with Embiid, Simmons, Harris, Horford, and Richardson at one point was 20 and seven. Yes. I can't. I saw that stat today, and I was just like, "No, no way, no way, that's a thing." But it was a thing. <laughs> I mean, I I thought they were kind of hovering around five hundred a lot of the year, to be honest, and, and maybe not like that crazy. But to see that they were like thirty five and twenty two at some point, that looks pretty good. But I guess they were uh, underwhelming against good teams. Uh, which is is a bit different this year, but yeah, I I, I digress. 
but um, I mean, one of obviously one of the biggest differences this year that we've talked about so many times is the big coaching change. You have the coaching staff makeover, and um, the big turning point in this game against the Pacers seemed to be when Doc Rivers switched to zone defense early in the fourth quarter when they were able to, uh, you know, they were still down double digits and they ended up swinging momentum in their favor big time after that switch. And Doc gave uh, Dan Burke, who was former Pacers coach for a very long time, a lot of credit for seeing what Indiana was doing and, and suggesting they go to a zone defense. And man, see, seeing the Sixers like really lock into that zone defense when you have Ben Simmons at the top of the key, 6'10", uh, guarding you up there, and then you have Matisse Thibel, who's one of one of the best zone defenders that I've ever seen. He was a good zone defender in college, and it's clear that he hasn't uh, missed skipped a beat uh, when it comes to zone defense in the NBA. We haven't seen the Sixers play zone defense ever. Like I can't remember a time I've ever seen them play zone defense. Yeah, I think Matisse had the quote after the game. Someone's like, "What is it like for?" players having been in Matisse at the top of the key and he goes, Oh, I bet it sucks <laughs> or something like that. Like a very, just a very Matisse answer. But yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, you know, I mean, when we hired Dan Burke, we all saw the word on him was that he was a smart defensive coach. Um, and the guy they hired in Indiana was a McMillan assistant, I believe. So, you know, they, Dan Burke has some type of rapport with Indiana's head coach. So I guess he maybe saw some things in practice or knew had a little more insider info than maybe Doc did. And clearly it worked. What was the final quarter? 34 to 17, something like 37 that. 37 to 15 in the fourth. Okay. Yeah. Pretty, pretty wild. I mean, the Sixers made um, TJ McConnell turn the ball over a bunch of times and he looked to come in and kind of, kind of do his thing and steal inbound passes and everything like that. But it just looked like they were cutting off every single lane that Indiana had. Uh, they were making Sabonis try and shoot in positions that didn't make him comfortable. I mean, Simmons and Thibel were not only defending on ball extremely well, but they were also recovering and blocking shots on the perimeter. And I think that's one of the more impressive things that I've, I've seen it done before, but it seemed in the fourth quarter that I saw it two or three times. I mean, everything this team does gets me more and more excited. And this is definitely no small feat. Like there's no secret. The Sixers aren't that good without Embiid and they just beat a playoff team without Embiid, you know, and the big thing was Sabonis getting the kind of get free reign without Embiid there. Um, you know, and the Sixers found a way to get it done. Like, like I said, we have nothing to complain about, and I don't know whether to be happy or sad about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly hope the shoe doesn't drop at some point. I'd imagine they'll go through a slump here, here or there at one point or another, but I feel like with the uh, coaching staff that they have in place and the amount of accountability that there have been, there has been, it's hard to see this team going through like long stretches of not being able to get offense going unless Embiid misses a stretch of time um, or or their shooters just go cold. But that wasn't the case in the fourth quarter against the Pacers. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz led the team with 11 fourth quarter points, shooting four for eight. 
he hit two three-pointers, including like a really big one to uh, bring them within three um, at one point late in the fourth quarter. Matisse Thibel had count them nine deflections to go along with five points, four steals, and two blocks in the fourth quarter alone. That's one quarter of stats. Five points, nine deflections, four steals, two blocks in the fourth quarter. He ranked second in the NBA in deflections during the month of January with 3.8 per game behind only Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors. I know Matisse Thibel is kind of a guy I, at the beginning I, of the year. Go ahead. I really I really thought you were going to say behind Robert Covington. Cause... <laughs> no. He still trails Robert Covington in the uh, season-long deflections race, but who knows? Who knows what might happen, but... I mean, Matisse. That, is... They need they need to make the Robert Covington Award for whoever leads the league in deflections, mm. the... because that man dominates that market. He does. The uh, Matisse Thibel has, you know, at the beginning of the season, we we were kind of not sure what his role would be. He didn't really get much run until, um, until uh, like there were some some early season injuries. Uh, He was switched early on in defense, but it seems like Doc realizes what his skill set is. And it almost seems like he's formulating schemes to, to give him more opportunities to cut to the basket and get him more involved offensively because his three point shot is just not, it's not falling. And if it's not falling, it's nice to see him drive to to the rim with a little more confidence with a little better ball handling as well so um i think matisse over the last five or six games i'm a guy and a lot of guys are the same way i'm somebody who thinks that if he adds nothing offensively it'll be hard to play him in the playoffs but at this point i would say that you almost have to play him in the playoffs because defensively he's back to where he was when he was a rookie, you know, making smart decisions on defense and and not taking as many risks, but still, I mean, he just looks really good out there. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. There's, like I said, it sucks. We can't get upset about anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for him, it's like surprising. It's surprising to see him playing so many minutes and we've seen... um, Tyrese Maxey get less minutes. Isaiah Joe getting no minutes after everybody has really come back. Uh, at, but, I mean, I, I can't blame Doc for continuing to ride Thibel because he looks really good. And if there's any truth to what I said before in our last episode about them playing him more to showcase him for a potential trade at the deadline, then I think they're certainly going to get their money's worth at this point, but I don't know if I'd really trade him because defensively, especially if they play zone defense more, um, he could be extremely valuable. I mean, is that something that you'd like to see them do more or stick to what they've been doing and adjust um, to the zone if they need to? I would say just keep adjusting, you know, play the game as it unfolds, Um, which is, again, something we haven't seen the Sixers do. The Sixers have been a team that when things don't go their way, instead of adapting, they just try to jam a square peg into a round hole. And with Doc, we're seeing that's not the case. You know, when when we're not shooting the ball well, we make efforts to get to the rim. If we're not defending well, we change what we do on defense. Like, these are things that didn't happen under Brett Brown. Yeah. 
um, you know, going along with the strong play. I mean, you love to see Furkan Korkmaz uh, hitting his three-point shots. I still have a lot of confidence in him beyond the arc. I know that it's Furkan Korkmaz, and he's always a guy that goes through hot and cold streaks, but I always feel like it's going in when he shoots it from three, and he had some really, like, pretty tightly contested ones that he hit in the fourth quarter uh, on on Sunday against the Pacers. But um, it, Tobias Harris with another really good game. He scored 10 in the fourth quarter, 27 overall on 10 for 18 shooting. I mean, he's just been tremendous uh, since the third game of the season. And I can't remember how many episodes ago it was. I might have to look uh, when we had Dan and Steve from Process Potables on here. Uh, when I said I was officially out on Ben Simmons. Um, yeah, you look pretty stupid after that. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like um, since that, since, I mean, January 15th is when, um, is when I was just like, you know, I'm sick of it. You know, he needs to play better. He needs to be more aggressive. So January 15th was that. Since January 15th, let's see here. All right, Jesse, you said that you have uh, what he's looked like over the last seven games now it's been. Yeah, um, since the 16th, he's averaging 13.7 points, uh, eight assists, 7.9 rebounds, 1.6 steals. So really not too far off of what he's doing on the season, actually. Yeah, I would imagine like the last four or five games, those stats get even better. Uh, yes, I would imagine so. But yeah, I mean, again, like it's, it's great to see, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back on my stance. I feel like that would be a cowardly move, but it's certainly, it's certainly good to see him. They actually, they actually, the scoring goes up, but the assistant rebounds go down over the last five. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I, it's certainly good to see him put up a, a stat line like this against the Pacers without Embiid. Uh, being more aggressive and everything like that. And I think we've seen a genuinely positive progression uh, when it comes to his free throw shooting and, and uh, like drawing fouls at the rim. So, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been uh, impressed, surprised, whatever other words can be used to, to describe it. See, I mean, I, I don't look at Ben as a sole unit. Um, you know, people try to put him in a box as an individual player, which as an individual player, he's great, but he's also a guy that can be the sum of his, the sum of his supporting cast. Um, and I think it's something Doc's kind of tried to say a lot is, you know, Ben Simmons does so many things outside of scoring the ball that help you win basketball games. And, you know, now that they have a good a good cast of shooters around him. He's able to space the floor better. I, I do believe he's making a more concerted effort to get to the free throw line. And I think that's a big, a big part for him to take a step forward because that will really help kind of get rid of the, the lack of shooting problem that we have with him. If he can kind of create his offense by getting to the foul line. But with him, it's, I do think it's like, Look, if you have Embiid right now scoring 30 points a night and Harris scoring 20 points a night, you don't really need Ben to go out there and give you 20 points every night. Right. Like, you need Ben to fill in the other parts of the offense and on the defensive end. 
And I think, you know, you look at really any big three, like aside from maybe the one with the heat, nobody dominates. There, you don't, there's never been one where all three guys just dominate the box score. Mm-hmm. You know, even Jordan, like Pippen and Rodman didn't have eye popping offensive numbers, you know? So it's, there's a got to be a balance there. And I think everyone wants Ben to go out there and give you 30, 10 and 10, but it's just not realistic. Yeah. I mean, I don't want, like, I don't want that. I just, I just want him to step up when it's needed. That's all. Like I, if, if everybody's healthy, like I'm not going to be like, okay, I want to see 18 points, seven assists and 10 rebounds. Like I'm not going to do that. It's just how he plays. Like he could be more aggressive and miss shots when Embiid's not playing, but the fact that he's aggressive would make me happy. So, I mean, I think that's what I mean by like we're starting to see him be more consistent and improving in areas that we've talked about, which are him being more consistently aggressive when Joel's not on the floor. And I think the addition of the pick and roll, like him, one of one of the things that I've tried to pay more attention to over the last stretch of game is is his role as not only the handler in a pick and roll situation, but the pick setter. And he's been very good at getting other guys open that way as well uh, through screen assists and everything too. So again, I think I've been very critical of him throughout the majority of his career especially since the beginning of last year but as long as we see him step up when it's needed I'm not gonna have a problem it's those times where he just kind of sits back and coasts when when they need him to be more aggressive that make me a little frustrated that's all yeah I mean I think with him in the same way that we kind of just said about Tobias where he's settled into what his role is with this team I think Ben's kind of beginning to do the same now, too. Like, Embiid was the first piece, then Tobias was the next piece of the puzzle, and now Ben's kind of rounding it out. Mm-hmm. And they're they're finding a way to coexist. And for everyone that's pushed the narrative that Ben and Joel can't play together, I mean, I think they're doing a lot to dispel that right now. Yeah. No, I agree. And, uh, again, I, I like what I've seen from him. So far. All right, before we move on, why don't we take a quick pause to talk about Anchor. Sixers 15-6, and six, first placed in the Eastern Conference, two and a half games ahead of the second place team. And the Bucks beca- and the Nets. The Bucks two and, and a half the Nets. Ahead two of both. All right. We have a game in hand on the Bucks, and the Nets have a game in hand on us. Got it. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the Sixers-Nets game this coming Saturday. Should be a good one. I hope it's a good one. Um, the yeah, so fifteen and six, first place in the East. Uh, the NBA released its coaches and players of the month for December, January, and Doc Rivers, new Sixers head coach, named as the Eastern Conference Coach of the Month for December and January. Um, we've mentioned across podcasts so far this year, what we've noticed differently about doc. So I just wanted to get your general thoughts about, uh, what you've liked, what you've may have been surprised by and what you'd like to continue to see from him. Um, exactly what he's been doing. Like really everything he kind of promised us is what's happened. Like 
I don't see any area to really criticize Doc right now. The guy said the, his vision for the team, and the team has fit that vision. Um, he's gotten, you know, every player to perform. You know, he f- fixed Tobias Harris. He's getting, you know, he's not getting the 16, 8, and 8 Ben stat lines, but he's getting very great basketball from Ben Simmons. He actually has the bench producing, and he's showing that he can be variable and multiple enough that when things go awry, he knows how to fix them in game. So everything that was probably holding the Sixers back under Brett Brown is gone. And that's why this team's in first place right now. Yeah, I uh, I haven't been in, able to like describe exactly what I've liked. I think just the record alone uh, speaks for itself. And I think, um, you know, whether that's, it's obviously partially Doc, but I think the fact that the roster is just more cohesive, even though they were 20-7 and seven last year at this point, which is still weird to talk about. Um, but I feel like Doc has really come in, and him being a veteran coach alone really makes such a big difference. Uh, you know, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, they've had Brett Brown for the entirety of their careers up until... Uh, this season, and I think that there's that sense of comfort, especially with a player's coach like Brett, uh, where there's more, you know, these these superstars can can get away with more and not put in 100% and, and not necessarily be held accountable for it because Brett was just not that guy from what we've heard and, and what we've read. And, and Doc is obviously that guy. And I think Doc going from where he was with Kawhi and Paul George to where he is now, I think that this is not only a better fit for uh, the Sixers players and a coach, but for the coach along with the Sixers too. I think Doc has really embraced the fact that he has these two young all-star caliber players and Tobias Harris, who has been playing at an all-star caliber level. And I think a lot of his improvement and getting back to what he was as a Los Angeles Clipper has been a lot of Doc Rivers. So I've been very impressed by that. And in terms of like what I've been surprised of, like I, w- I haven't really been surprised of anything uh, until this past Sunday when he s- threw the zone defense out. That was something I was not expecting to see and something that really worked out well. So it's good to see those in-game adjustments. Uh, we didn't see them very much from Brett. I feel like Brett was good like drawing up plays out of timeouts and everything, but when it come to it came to in-game adjustments, he wasn't the best there, and I'm starting to see. As Doc gets more of a feel for how his players play, he's starting to adjust to put them in the best positions for them to be successful and play to their strengths. That was very eloquently stated, Brandon. I think so, too. I'd say it wasn't scripted either, in, in case anybody thought it was, but it wasn't. So yeah, very very happy with that, and again, I'm very happy with the, that Al Horford and and even Josh Richardson are no no longer on our roster. Just didn't fit. Good guys didn't fit. Um, Doc Rivers named coach of the month, and uh, Joel Embiid for the second time in his career named Eastern Conference Player of the Month for December January and uh, Western Conference Player of the Month Nikola Jokic, and these two guys Embiid and Jokic have been the talk of the MVP race Uh, per basketball reference, Nikola Jokic currently leads the MVP race uh, best chance to win the MVP race at this point 
uh, with 44.7% chance. I don't really know what they put their odds on or anything. There's probably like a, a gigantic amount of different statistical categories that go into that. Joel Embiid is second with just under 19%, and Kawhi Leonard is third. I'm not a big fan of like the pushing LeBron to be MVP just because he's LeBron. There are clearly players that are playing better than he is. Like we get it, it's LeBron, but um, I mean, it's it's kind of neat to see Embiid and Jokic uh, taking these awards and being at the front of this MVP conversation because it's been so long since the big man has has been such a talking point in the NBA, and I feel like these two guys have really kind of revived how the big man is is viewed and and really been looked at over over the past like i don't even know how long it's been so long i'm trying to think like not as far as shack really but it's like i remember the ben wallace days i would say early dwight yeah mm-hmm. that's that's the last time i can really think of like superstar big men and he may have even been the only one at that point in the game um, I mean, the thing with Jokic and Embiid is that they're also totally different players. Right, yeah. Like, those guys really couldn't be more different in the way they approach the game. Um, and that kind of makes it even more fascinating that they play the same position. They're both in the MVP race, but they're doing it in two very different ways with Jokic kind of almost being like a point center. Mm-hmm. And then Embiid being kind of a throwback to, in a way, while also having that range to his game and, you know, the elite athleticism that he has, where Jokic isn't really an athlete. Um, I mean, he's an NBA player, like, don't get me wrong, but he's, compared to Embiid, Jokic is not a very athletic guy. Mm-hmm. I'd put him at maybe like a, what's it called? If I had to put them on a scale of, like, athlete, I feel like um, Jokic would probably be in the realm of like somewhat in shape nascar driver yeah i was thinking like slugger in the majors sure yeah that too like a guy that doesn't have to be super fast or super fast twitchy right but still gets the job done yeah maybe like a tony gwynn sure sure um one of my all-time favorites but yeah i actually uh, after I learned about Embiid and Jokic being named players of the month, you know, I, I'd been seeing a lot of Sixers fans not willing to accept the fact that Jokic might be putting up better numbers than Embiid. But what you said makes a lot of sense. They're two completely different players. And so I think it's all dependent on how each statistic is valued and, and whether it's the best player in the league or the most valuable player to their team. You know, I view MVP as most valuable player, but I feel like it's most valuable player in the entire NBA, not the MVP of one team. Um, So, you know, Jokic averaging 26.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists, which is just insane. I mean, his his court vision's wild, and 0.6 blocks, um, uh, shooting 57.4%. From the floor, 38% uh, from three, 65.6% total shot percentage, um, offensive rating of 128, defensive rating 108. Uh, and Denver's offensive rating is just a tick above 120 with him on the court, 107.4 without. Um, 
On the other side of things, Embiid averaging 28.3 points per game, which is ahead of Jokic, 11.1 rebounds, which is a little bit less, 2.8 assists, which is a lot less, uh, but Embiid uh, averaging 1.3 blocks, which is more. Uh, Embiid uh, shooting 54% overall, better from three. He's shooting 40.4% and has a 66.9 total shot percentage. And the offensive defensive ratings are pretty similar. Embiid's is 126 on offense, 103 on defense. And then the offensive rating with him on the court and without on the court is is around the same. 120 and a half um, on the court, 105 off the court. And Jokic's was 120.6, 107. So I know I just rambled off a bunch of stats that a lot of people may not have understood, but I mean, just... Overall, you can see what you said is very true. They're two very, very different players, but how they affect their team's play in terms of being on the court and rising that level of play is very similar, I feel like. The only, if, and this is splitting hairs because, I mean, I was on the side that Jokic is probably the best center in the league coming into this season. And that was after what Jokic did in the playoffs last season. Um, but the big difference and the only way I could really justify swinging this in Embiid's favor right now is Jokic is playing more minutes than Embiid. Mm-hmm. So if you look at their per 36, Jokic's numbers are pretty much the averages he has. Like 26.9 points, 11.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists. Embiid's per 36 is 32.2 points a game, 12.7 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He's averaging more blocks and steals. So when you throw that in there, Embiid kind of levels the playing field a little bit more. Um, Then you obviously get in the whole conversation of, well, Embiid sits out games, Jokic doesn't, that whole thing. So it's, it's definitely like not a cut and dry answer. There's different ways to approach it. But yeah, I mean, back to what you were saying about really a shift after the league has been so guard dominated for like the last decade to now be where we are now where two big men are dominating the sport again. Yeah, I mean, they're both super fun to watch. And I I don't like Jokic, but I feel like I try to be impartial with this stuff. They're both playing so well. And they're just like really, really fun players to watch. Again, Jokic is like his court vision and just how he gets the ball sometimes like at the top of the key. And, and like again, it's it's just tremendous, and I feel like Joel Embiid has gotten a lot better, like passing out of double teams. I think his mid range game is is maybe a little bit better than Jokic's, but um, again, I think they're just both playing extremely well. Um, and I'm looking to looking forward to see how it uh, unfolds. Me too. Well, Jesse, we will have to see how this MVP race shapes up over the rest of the season. But really, whether it is an MVP race or just a regular nightly game on a Tuesday or Wednesday, sports betting has become such a popular part of our world. And, I mean, you would want to be prepared with the best betting uh, tips and insights, right? Wouldn't you? Who wouldn't want that? I mean, I'm kind of a genius anyway, so yeah. I think I already well, have them. If if you're the many that aren't a genius like Jesse, I made I made twelve dollars on the stock market this week, guys. So I mean that's big. I know. Like, watch out for me. But if you, I mean, if you're not a, a sports betting genius like Jesse, 
Our friends at Steady Picks are your source for sports betting tips, insights, and analytics to help you become a better sports better. At Steady Picks, they provide members with a daily newsletter highlighting the day's best bets from our staff, from their staff articles to keep your sports betting strategy sharp, and their signature Steady Picks system best bets, winning an industry-leading 60% across all sports. Visit them online at steadypicks.com, and you can get your first month free of their all-access membership by using the code GOLD at SteadyPicks.com. Again, that's your first month free. It is a $19.99 price, but you can use the code GOLD uh, at checkout to get your first month free at SteadyPicks.com. So what are you waiting for? Become an all-access subscriber today. All right. One of the last things we have here to talk about is... Um, Report that came out this week that the New Orleans Pelicans are shopping J.J. Redick and Lonzo Ball. Redick, not surprisingly, is reportedly interested in returning to the Northeast where his family is. And the Sixers, Nets, Celtics, and Knicks have been named as potential destinations for the veteran sharpshooter. Um, J.J. is making $13 million in total this year, but he's shooting a career low 33.6% from the floor and 29.8% from three. Like, reading those numbers off is just kind of wild. To Even even last year, shooting over 43% from three-point range. Uh, he's been a healthy scratch DNP coach's decision the last three games. Uh, so I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the potential of a, a J.J. Redick reunion and if you had any interest in Lonzo Ball, potentially. No interest in Lonzo, and that's, I mean, I think he's a decent player. I just don't think he fits. Um, J.J., why not? I mean, I don't think we need to add, but if, you know, you were going to bring someone in, he kind of fits the mold. I don't know what the team's plan is for the future of Furcon Korkmaz. Like maybe they're going to decide they're not going to re-sign him, so they let him go, and they use him to get Redick in. You could maybe get the Pelicans to eat a little bit of Redick's contract to make him fit, since he is performing so poorly. But I mean, I'm willing to give JJ the benefit of the doubt and get him in here and think he's going to be JJ, just based off what he's done throughout his career. Um, he's playing in a team right now with Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, and Steven Adams. So that probably doesn't really space the floor too great for JJ. It probably makes it a little harder for him to find his shots. Um, without having watched a Pelicans game, that's just my general interpretation of those numbers. Because like you, I really can't imagine those are like JJ's actually forgotten how to shoot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would take a flyer on him. Why not? Yeah. Um, I think so with regard to Lonzo, I would be intrigued. I think he's a good player. And when I think, I don't really know what it would take to get him at this point. Um, but I'm intrigued because I'm still not convinced that shake Milton is a, is a point guard. And when I look at the playoffs, I'm, I'm curious, like, I'm not sure Tyrese Maxey is going to get big run in the playoffs. So I, I look at Alonzo Ball as a guy that you can put in that lineup with uh, with Shake Milton and you know one of Ben and Joel and and just have the opportunity to to have another 
playmaker on the floor, like a ball handler. And I feel like past in the playoffs, we've seen like TJ McConnell, obviously Jimmy Butler was like the best version of what, what we want here. And Lonzo is not like a knockdown shooter or anything, but um, I feel like he might, he offers enough intriguing upside for uh, potential playoff minutes, in my opinion. Um, with uh, with regard to J.J. Redick, I, I'm a big J.J. Redick fan, but by no means am I giving up any sort of assets for him, not even second-round picks. Uh, I think New Orleans is kind of to the point now where he's not playing, so I don't I feel like the majority of the NBA probably knows that they'll, they're trying to get anything at this point, and if not, then there's a pretty good chance that he reaches the buyout market. So I feel like if he reaches the buyout market, I'm in. Otherwise, I'm not sure, because as, as, as much as it may pain some people to hear, I, I feel like Korkmaz kind of off the bench offers a little bit more at this point. I mean, I, I feel confident in who he's become as an offensive player and confident in who he's become as a defender. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to, like, trade a couple of guys for um, or a couple of picks for J.J. just for him to get played off the court defensively in the playoffs. So, I mean, it's certainly intriguing. I think that he'd fit. But I don't want to give up. I mean, I, I wouldn't even give up like Mike Scott and Terrence Ferguson at this point. I feel like you just try to buy low on him because of how much money he's making. And then, you know, if he's on the buyout market, I feel like that's a pretty easy flyer to take. But, yeah, that's where I am with that. No, I agree with that. Um, all right, upcoming schedule for the Sixers. Um, we're recording here on Tuesday the 2nd. Uh, they have a back-to-back Wednesday at Charlotte, Thursday in Philadelphia against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, and then Saturday, they play the Brooklyn Nets at the Wells Fargo Center before departing for a four-game trip out west to play the Kings, Blazers, Suns, and Jazz. Uh, so we'll have a pod for you at some point uh, early early to mid next week. Not exactly sure when. At this point, uh, I guess before we go, Jesse, uh, earlier today, uh, Woj tweeted out that the NBA and NBA Players Association are discussing the potential idea of a one-day all-star game in Atlanta that would include East versus West plus the normal skills competition, you know, the dunk contest, three-point stills competition. It would be March 7th, I believe, is the day that uh, they were proposing. Do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? Um, as long as they put Furcon in the three-point contest, I'm with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I sure, certainly didn't think of that, but I think it's a terrible idea. I think he is built for the three-point contest with the way his shot is. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not debating that. I just think it's a very, very poor idea with the way that our, with the way where the the world is right now, and uh, bringing bringing in players from different markets into one market that is still in in a covid surge of sorts like it just makes very little sense at this point i think they like uh what's it called announce all stars and, and people you know players get to have that um achievement especially for tobias harris that would be big but i, I don't think at this point it would be a smart idea you know just let people get some rest during like a week and then pick up the second week of the second half of the season i mean I, of course i'd watch but i think it's a stupid idea seems reckless you're right i just 
I love the three point contest <laughs> and the dunk contest. I don't care about the actual game. Yeah. I I just I need my three point contest and my dunk contest. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's um, that's which all. you could which you could conduct sanitarily and socially distanced. Those two you could. Sure. Yeah. A, mm-hmm. a game you couldn't. Yeah, I I would be interested to see. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it actually happens, but I I would be interested to see um, what the testing ends up like uh, when you're going to have guys traveling from from other markets. Um, I'm a, I'm more of a guy that likes the to watch the games. The, I haven't enjoyed the skills contest, especially like the dunking. I haven't enjoyed the dunk contest for a while, like the, the three point contest. But I like watching the game. A lot of people don't really like watching it anymore, but I think it's fun to watch, you know, guys that don't normally shoot threes so much shoot threes and just like the crazy dunks. I I don't view it as like a competition. I just view it as like a cool showcase, I guess. So you're saying the dunk, because like the last three or four dunk contests have been awesome. Call me a traditionalist. But I guess like Like ever, ever since ever since Zach Levine won his first one. The dunk contest has been fucking back. I feel like my issue with it is that I need a draw like with player name. And I feel like over the past few years, they've not. I, again, like I feel like I'm just traditional in the sense that I'd like. Uh, I don't know. I just don't have a whole lot of interest watching like a random, you know, white dude from Milwaukee. In the dunk contest. Well, that example. was a very poor choice. Pat Connaughton is not yeah. a player I'm a fan of. Yeah. So I, I mean, like, I haven't watched it in a while. The same as I haven't, like, watched the home run derby in Major League Baseball's all-star game. Like, it's, I get it, but I feel like I've seen it enough times now to where I can just, like, watch the highlights if there are any good things because it just, it, it gets to the point where it's just so long now that after the first round, it just kind of loses my interest. Fair enough. Yeah, sorry we'll, to be the buzzkill. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. All right. All right, that'll be all, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Garbage Into Gold.